All right. Well, uh, at this point, I want to invite Springer Kane, national champion Springer Kane, to come down front. He's going to teach the book of Obadiah. And I don't really even know how he got saddled with Obadiah, but I'm fine with it. And Robert said that I drew the short straw with Obadiah. I do not believe that. Um, I had two conversations today uh, about Obadiah in a way. One was just via a short text, and one was with someone after church. And the person after church, we were talking, and they were just encouraged that we were going through the minor prophets because we, um, I think they spoke on behalf of a lot of us, including myself, that we just don't know a whole lot about the minor prophets. And so to me, the last several weeks that we've been doing this have been very encouraging. And I was telling them that the book of Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's 21 verses. And so it's really an easy book of the Bible to read. And if you go through a Bible reading plan, then it's you get to the day when Obadiah is there and you're like, oh, yes, I get to check off a whole book of the Bible and I only spent two minutes reading it. Um, and I, I love doing Bible reading plans. I've done it for several years. And so I've read through Obadiah at least once every year for the past several years. Uh, I haven't gotten to it, I don't believe, yet this year. But when I was preparing a couple of weeks ago, starting uh, to read Obadiah, I read through it the first time, and I was like, what is this about? I, I, I don't know how many times I have read it, but here I am reading again, and I'm preparing to teach it, um, and I have no idea what this is about. And it just kind of made me think that this book and other books um, in the Bible, especially some of these minor prophets are hard books to understand. And if we don't have um, some teaching like this, it's easy to read through a book like that and just kind of check it off your list and just go on and not understand what it means. Um, and so I'm encouraged that we get to go through these books of the Bibles to teach through them. Um, and I, I'm glad that I got the short straw of Obadiah because it's really, I've enjoyed diving into it. And then the other conversation was just a short text with a brother who's here tonight who said that this is one of his favorite books of the Bible, and I'm, I'd be interested to talk to him afterwards and kind of understand from him why is it one of his favorite books in the Bible. Um, but I was encouraged by that, that he wants to be here tonight. And so what I want to do tonight is obviously talk about Obadiah and what is this book about. Um, talk a little bit about the history of the people in the book of Obadiah um, and just kind of talk of why was this book written. And then what does it mean for us living 2,500 years after this book was written? Um, what does a book like this, is it able to teach us? So let me pray and we'll jump in. God, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for this Lord's Day that we can come before you to sing your praises together. Uh, how beautiful it is to hear uh, the voices singing these hymns each Sunday night. We thank you uh, for that. Thank you for just time to spend in prayer and time to hear the evidences of grace 
um, in our lives. I pray that you would bless our time in Obadiah. I pray that you would give me the words to say that you would speak and that you would be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Even though it is 21 verses, I'm not going to read through all of Obadiah, but I want to look at who wrote this and when was it written, why was it written, what is it about. Obviously, the who is Obadiah. Uh, Verse 1 starts off, the vision of Obadiah. Uh, We don't know who Obadiah exactly is. The Old Testament, I think, has 12 or so Obadiahs mentioned throughout the Old Testament, and Obadiah means servant of God. And so this isn't necessarily a particular Obadiah that we should know from history, uh, but it's just a servant of the Lord who wrote this. Um, and so who or what, what, what is this book about? Now you can see that in the rest of uh, verse 1, which says, Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. Um, this is a prophecy against Edom, um, and it's written to the people of Israel. And so Obadiah was an Israelite, probably lived in Jerusalem, and he is writing this to the people of Israel, but it's a prophecy about the people of Edom. But that kind of leads us to, then, who is Edom? Um, I know when I read through this, I, I wasn't quite aware at the beginning of who exactly is this Edom that Obadiah is talking about. To know who Edom is, we have to go back to Jacob and Esau. Isaac's sons, um, twins that were born, uh, Esau the older twin, Jacob the younger twin. Uh, And in those days, the oldest male of the family usually got the inheritance, got the blessing of the father. But if we know the story of Jacob and Esau, we know that Jacob deceived Esau, he deceived Isaac, and he got the blessing, he got the inheritance. And obviously Esau was not too happy about that. And so very soon after um, he gets the blessing of his father, he then leaves and flees to his uncle's land. Um, He's there for at least 14 years where we know he works seven years. He marries Leah. He works seven more years. He marries Rachel. And then we um, see him decide to go back to his land, knowing that he's going back to where his brother, who most likely hates him, is waiting. He doesn't know what, what is going to happen. Is, he gonna, is there going to be a battle? Is he going to have to fight when he gets back? But he knows that he needs to go. He's scared to go. But Esau welcomes him um, at that time. And then that's kind of when we see Jacob given the name Israel. And so then the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, comes out of the family of Jacob. And then Esau is given the name Edom. And so the nation of Edom is comes out of Esau. So Israel and Edom are brothers in a sense. They're neighbors because Edom's land is just to the southeast of where Israel was at the time. Um, But that wasn't the last interaction. Obviously we know Israel, Jacob, and his family go down to Egypt. They're down there for 400 or so years as slaves, and Moses leads them out. And then we see as they are coming out and heading towards the promised land in Numbers chapter 20, Moses is leading the people 
um, through the desert in, in Numbers chapter 20, it says this, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that we have met, how our fathers went down to Egypt. We lived in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom said to him, you shall not pass through, lest I come out with the sword against you. So this is, again, hundreds of years later. But Edom is, I don't know if they're scared of Israel. Israel is big a large amount of people at this time if they don't want them coming through the land because maybe they don't trust Moses that he's they actually won't stay on the king's highway but either way there's obviously this enmity between them and then we see Israel uh, go to the promised land and are established as a nation and we see the judges and then we have the kings and we have even Saul and David in in the writings of chronicles or kings uh, we see that both Saul and David if not others, have you know, military um, dominance over Edom at some point during their reign. And so Jacob and Esau, at least Israel and Edom, brothers and neighbors, but also enemies. And so that's kind of who Edom is. Um, but why is this prophecy written against Edom? So we want to Jump in Obadiah to verse 10 and read a few verses here. So verse 10 says, Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. So this is speaking to of Edom. Shame shall cover you, and you, you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. So here's where we see the why uh, of Edom having this prophecy. And like when I read through that first time a couple weeks ago, I didn't really understand, well, what exactly is Obadiah talking about? What is this violence done to your brother Jacob? And so after studying, um, it turns out that Edom was kind of in league with Babylon. Uh, from what I actually read is they actually tried to kind of form alliances with some other nations, not Israel, but other nations against Babylon, just knowing Babylon was growing, becoming this powerful nation. Maybe they could, as a group, stand up to them. But then Babylon, in 586, um, sacks Jerusalem and destroys Jerusalem and carries people away to Babylon. And so sometime around this time, the people of Edom thought, ah, oh, no, we're going to actually switch alliances. We're going to go with, with Babylon. 
And so what they did during this time of the sacking of Jerusalem is, just as it says in there, that um, you stood aloof, you carried off their wealth, um, you boasted over, you gloated over the day of your brother and his misfortune. Uh, but then at the end, verse 14, it says, do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. So they, as Jerusalem was being sacked, people were obviously fleeing Jerusalem to get away from the Babylonians. But some of the people of Edom were capturing the folks who were fleeing from Jerusalem, killing some of them, but also then turning some of them over to Babylon. So obviously a direct attack on the people of Israel, on the people of the Lord, God's chosen people. Um, and so therefore an attack on the Lord as well. So that's why this prophecy is written for what Edom did to um, the people of Israel during this time. But what exactly is this prophecy? Um, it's basically that Edom will be humbled. So picking back up in verse 1, the vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. That's a key line right there. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you, would have, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Taman so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. And so that is kind of what the prophecy is, is that Edom will be humbled, is that Edom will be destroyed. And what we see happen in 553 BC, so 33 years uh, after Babylon has sacked Jerusalem and Edom helped, 33 years later, Babylon then goes in and attacks Edom and destroys them. They don't like wipe them out, but the prophecy was clear. Um, and it even says, all your allies have been driven to your border. Those at peace with you, so Babylon, who they had been allies with, they have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. Um, and so this pride that they had uh, deceived them and it blinded them also to their friends their their allies supposedly in babylon were the ones that came and attacked them as well and so they were eventually uh, 
the people group of Edom were kind of forced over into the land of Judah, um, into Israel. And eventually, over the course of, you know, four or five hundred years until the time of Jesus, they were kind of absorbed into the Jewish nation. Um, and they were given the name, like the kind of the new name is the Idumeans. So Idumea. Uh, is this new land that they were living in after they were destroyed. And so that's kind of the who, what, when, why of Obadiah, why this was written. Um, And it was written to the Israelites, just so, just kind of a reminder to the Israelites, like God, God is in control. He's, even though these Edomites attacked you, he is going to deal with them and judge them. Um, but for us, like I said earlier, we live 2,500 years after this book was written. What does this mean to us? What is, where in here can you find the gospel? Um, and so a few points that I think we can take away. Um, the first one being that pride will deceive us. Um, obviously, as verse 3 says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Um, Edom was a very prideful nation. It talks in the next few verses, even though you live, they kind of lived up in the mountains. You live in the clefts of the rock. You live in these high places and think you're protected. Um, But the Lord says, I will bring you down. Um, They were a very prideful people and the pride, as I said earlier, also blinded them to what their own allies were doing. Um, That in this time when the people of Edom saw what was happening to the people of Judah. And we can't go back and know how much did the Edomites know about the people of Judah and Jerusalem and how they were abandoning the Lord, how the judgment that the Lord was putting upon them was a just thing to send them into captivity. Um, but they probably at least, they knew that they were, they were God's chosen people. They knew that there was something different about them Yet, they saw all this happening to them, and they could have humbled themselves and gone and maybe helped Jerusalem against Babylon, but instead they had pride, or they could have stayed. They could have stayed where they are and just kind of stayed out of it, but instead they kind of go and like kick the people of Judah as they are down um, and steal their stuff, and so they were a very prideful people, um, and so for us, as believers, um, obviously pride is something we deal with on a daily basis. I think pride is a very prevalent sin in our lives. Sometimes it's a hard sin to um, really pinpoint, but it's very prevalent. And how do we as believers fight that pride? Um, And I I think it's by humbling ourselves uh, before the Lord. Psalm 51 Uh, verse 17. This is the famous psalm that David wrote after um, being with Bathsheba, you know, to create in me a clean heart, O God. Uh, Verse 16 and 17 say this, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So that's, that's what we're called to do as well, to have a broken and contrite heart, to be humble before the Lord. Then in Isaiah, the last chapter of the book, 
um, chapter 66 and verse 2. Isaiah says, all these things, and this is the Lord saying this, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And that was the call for the people of Israel at the time, and that's the call to us as well today to humble ourselves before the Lord. Another point um, is that the day of the Lord is near. We haven't gotten to verse 15, but I want to read that right now. It says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. So obviously, this is kind of a little bit of a change in the tone of Obadiah from talking a lot about Edom to then talking about the nations and talking a lot in these next few verses to Israel as well. Um, But again, this was 2,500 years ago and Obadiah writing that the day of the Lord is near. And the reality was, especially for Edom, the day of the Lord, the day of his judgment on them was very near. Uh, this, the book of Obadiah was probably written sometime between 586 and 553 B.C. And so the, the judgment that was coming for them was very near. But the reality is the day of the Lord, as they say here, is near upon all the nations. Um, I think this is just a foreshadowing. Uh, this judgment upon Edom is a foreshadowing upon all nations. And I think this was actually an encouragement to the people of Israel, as I maybe mentioned a few moments ago that the Israelites obviously know what Edom did. They know what all these other nations around them have maybe done to them, or at least know that these other nations are not nations that are following the Lord in any sense, in any manner. But here the Lord is saying in a reminder to them, the day of the Lord is near for all nations, for all of their enemies, that the day of the Lord is near. And I think that has implications for us as well, that Today, the day of the Lord is near. Um, as I was thinking about this, I think it's often, it's hard to like, wonder to ourselves as believers, like, why does evil exist? Or why do evil people, why do sinners seem to prosper so much? But the reality of the day of the Lord is near. And we can look at that in two ways. We can look at that as, okay, the Lord is going to destroy um, all sinners in, in judgment in the judgment day on the day of the Lord, those who do not trust him will be sent to eternal damnation. And that's deserved. And I don't think that that's necessarily something that we, I don't know, look forward to, but what we can, what I think it should lead us to is there's so many people out there in our own city, in our own neighborhoods, but also the nations who do not yet trust in Jesus. And if the day of the Lord is tomorrow, then those people are separated from him forever. So that should lead us to want to do something about that. And the only thing that we can do about that is to share the gospel with people who do not yet believe. Last week, I went to a meeting um, where there was a guy from a, an organization that does Bible translations. And I've, being the missions guy for the past 10 years uh, of read a lot about Bible translation, Bible translation projects, 
Um, and I don't know that I could have told you the numbers, but he told us last week that there are still 1,700, over 1,700 languages that have no scripture um, in their language. So not even one word, not one verse, definitely not chapters or books or Old Testament or New Testament. There are about 6,000 plus total languages across the world. So that means about 4,300 do have scripture, but that doesn't mean that they have all of the New Testament or all of the book of John. It just means they have some. Now, there are a lot of um, languages, especially big languages, even in unreached people groups that do have the entire Bible and praise the Lord for that. But that today, in the year 2022, there's still at least 1,700 languages that do not have any scripture in their language. And, and it just impressed upon me this need that we have to go, the call that we have to go to the nations, is not necessarily to go and translate though that is obviously needed, but to go and take the gospel to the nations. Um, this has many implications, obviously, for us as believers. And so the day of the Lord is near. And so let us live our lives like the day of the Lord is near, praising him for saving us, knowing that if the day of the Lord is tomorrow, that we will spend eternity with the Lord, but knowing that those who don't yet know him will spend eternity separated from him. And then the third, that the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The very last verse of Obadiah says, Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. As Robert was <coughs> preaching this morning, it reminded me a lot of this point. Um, I think this is just a great reminder that of all this, uneasiness, all this, like the Israel, they're God's people, yet they're being sent in captivity to Babylon. And then they have these Edomites, their neighbors, their enemies, their brothers, who are attacking them, turning them over to the Babylons, looting their city. Like, where is God in this? And we can read that into it as well. Where, why, why did God not prevent this from happening? Um, obviously, it makes sense for him to judge the people of Judah for what they did, but why did the Edomites have to go and do all this as well? Uh, but we know as believers that the Lord is in control, um, and we can trust that his kingdom is established and will be established, that a new kingdom will come when the day of the Lord comes, um, and his own people will be exalted. Um, I think that's just, I uh, appreciate Robert talking about that this morning. Um, it was very encouraging. Um, another kind of encouraging thing that I've, just as I've studied through Obadiah, um, it was kind of like what happened to the Edomites? They were, in a sense, destroyed by Babylon um, in 553. But as I read, they kind of were assimilated into Jewish culture in this area called Idumea. Um, but interestingly, we see them mentioned in the New Testament in Mark chapter 3. Um, in verse 7, it says this, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee, Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. 
when the great, great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. So here we see this great crowd followed from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, and Idumea. So these people, these Edomites, they're no longer really Edomites, and they have you know, lived amongst the people of Judah for a long time at this point, but they're still kind of that same bloodline. And here we see them, some of them were following Jesus. We don't know that that means that they believed Jesus and what he was saying, because a lot of people that were around Jesus didn't believe what he was saying. But to me, it was just a picture of God's grace to the Edomites, um, that they did this horrible thing against the Lord. They were judged for it, but they weren't necessarily like completely wiped out. Not every single person that lived in Edom was destroyed, but they were assimilated over. And then you see 500 years later that some of them were following Jesus. So they at least heard Jesus. They heard what he had to say. Maybe some of them were believers um, and followed him truly. And um, we don't know that, but it was just a picture of God's grace in their lives and just reminded me of the grace in our own lives that he has saved us because we were enemies of his. We disobeyed him through our sin and he sent Jesus to live a perfect life and to die for us. Um, Such amazing grace that he has shown to us. Um, Just a great reminder seeing that uh, in this uh, book as well. Uh, Let me close us now. God, thank you for the book of Obadiah. Thank you for what we can learn from a book written 2,500 years ago that is an easy book to read, but as I said, it's a hard book to just understand at face value. But I thank you for what you teach us here. God, I pray that you would help us to not be like the Edomites and to not be prideful, but Lord, that we would humble ourselves before you. I pray that you would help us to live our lives knowing that the day of the Lord is near. That you would use us to go out into our neighborhoods, to go to our family members, to friends, or to go to the nations. To teach of your great love and how you are the only way to be saved, God. Trusting in Jesus. I pray that you would help us. Thank you for this night. ask that you would come and guide us and go with us from here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.